0: I would always hire someone who I'm like, this person can get something that's kind of intangible and hard to teach. Like, it's hard. I don't know how you would teach someone, hey, here's how you develop a Twitter voice. You got to hire people for their strengths and then decide whether or not they're teachable and can figure things out on the fly.
1: What's going on, folks? This is Social on the Sidelines presented by Front Office Sports. Today's episode, as always, is brought to you by Team Infographics. The folks behind our graphics and many of the teams, including the Washington Capitals, now Stanley Cup champions, uh, their graphics as well.
2: Yeah, they're great. They did an amazing job throughout the Stanley Cup finals. And team infographics are the best compliment to any team out there looking to elevate great content.
1: You can find their work at many professional sports leagues. But if you're interested in getting to know more about the folks over there, you can follow them over at team infographs and what's their website Amara
2: team infographics.com. Make sure to contact them.
1: Indeed. So today's episode, Amara (laughs) is nowhere to be heard. (laughs) We talked to, not we, I talked to Angie treasure. There is no forgiveness. I'm still mad at her about this. Um, (laughs) So we talked. I talked to Inch <laughs> Treasure of the Utah Jazz, uh, social media manager over there. Who she's come in and done an amazing job. Kind of transformed Utah Jazz social, which frankly before I didn't necessarily know a whole lot about. And now I follow their account because they are good at Twitter. And yeah,
2: other I'm super bummed that I was not able to make this episode. I, as you know, recently moved to Portland. And my laziness kicked in and I never set up my internet in my apartment. And I figured, oh, should be fine. I have Verizon, shout out Verizon. And then I went to download the app or get into the Ringer app and um, it wouldn't open. So that was pretty sad.
1: Mm, I don't believe you. Um, Anyway, (laughs) so one of the things that, uh, I had talked to Angie about, and I'm going to keep saying I now because I'm so salty. Yeah, stulty. it's
2: pretty petty, um, but anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> One
1: of the things that we talked about on this episode were the complex sports rankings, which I am very upset about, and I said this at the beginning of the talk with Angie, you'll hear, uh, but Amara, what were, your thought, what were your thoughts on how the complex sports rankings shaped out? The NBA's best Twitter teams.
2: I mean, listen, I think, I mean, so the Grizzlies were at 15, which I was pretty upset Let's about. The were at 14. Yeah, I was just a little bummed because I felt like um, they went only back like a few weeks. And I think that really mm-hmm. gave a disadvantage to teams that didn't make the playoffs. Um, and I think, I mean, it's it's not that serious, right? Like, in this nBA Twitter world it is serious and it's like been a thing where you like I like stress about it for real like i I was really stressed about it um but yeah I mean, I wish we would have gotten higher but you know it is what it is what about you
1: it is yeah I mean yeah I, I mean kind of the same way like it was something that folks would look forward to at the end of uh you know the each respective season and look forward to to see how people are. Seeing their work. That being said, you know, I respect the folks over at Complex a lot. I know some yeah, of the people sure. that wrote it. Um, but that being said, as you had alluded to, it doesn't seem like they necessarily did justice to all the work put behind not only our teams, but a lot of teams just because, I mean, the Jazz were ranked 20, right? Like they completely yeah. transformed what they did on social. Are they the 20th best team in the NBN Twitter? I don't believe so. That's subjective. But right. uh, as you said, I, it doesn't seem like they looked past a whole lot more than a couple of weeks when this should be a season long thing. So I'm kind of compelled to do my own rankings.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think like we, you know, as social media managers of brands, like really respect all of the other people that are doing this job, because we know it's, we know the challenges, we know the struggles, we know like the work that puts in, like that is put in. So you know, like even when I see my girl Eileen with the Celtics, like twenty-nine or whatever, I it just to me I'm like, Well, no, she actually did a really good job. So it's it's tough. As with any ranking system, it's hard. But um, yeah. I don't know if that made any sense, but here we are. No, it,
1: it, it did. It did. I, I agree on that front. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what's going on across social week touched on the Stanley Cup champions, which, frankly, I don't watch a whole lot of hockey, but what the Capitals did... I Actually, I didn't watch any of the games, to be quite honest. But what the Capitals did on Twitter after, during the yeah. Stanley Cup finals, I, I didn't even follow them. I saw them all over my timeline, not just because they won the championship, but because they used Twitter in a very unique fashion and, and did a good job about um, you know showcasing their feelings about winning and getting yeah. in a clever fashion.
2: Yeah. What, and I what think, were your thoughts? Yeah, I think too, you know, they were playing the Vegas Golden Knights who kind of came out of the gate just like with the top Twitter game. Yeah, so I think it's it's sometimes like I would personally like if I was going up against a Twitter account that is the Vegas Golden Knights like I would be a little intimidated because you know it's, it's a brand new account. It, everyone's talking about it, but I think they did a really really good job and kind of not trying to be I mean, I don't know their voice, but I got the feeling they were being true to their own brand. Um, and I really liked, I think they tweeted at, like, the Stanley Cup Twitter handle, and they were like, follow back or <laughs> something like that. And it, yeah. it was something that was, like, really small, but it it really um, kind of resonated with audiences outside of just hockey fans.
1: Absolutely. I, I, I was having a talk with somebody recently about, like, uh graphics for social teams across leagues and organizations and i think a lot of the time one of the things that gets lost that i see is that not every single thing when it's a big moment needs to be accompanied by a great videos are great right like great graphics are great shout out team infographics but like <laughs> the the stuff that works well at times is also just being very simple about how you go about social and like the Capitals tweeting, follow back, at Stanley Cup, saying hi to the Stanley Cup, like all these different things. It really encompassed how fans felt. And yeah. sometimes those work better than these, uh, you know, highly great visuals that are accompanied. Like sometimes you just have to be honest to the platform. And somebody was saying, like, text only doesn't work on Twitter. But I, I don't agree too. with that. Yeah. Like,
2: no, I don't. I yeah, think I, if anyone. No, platform... no
1: disrespect, but I. I, I just think it, that sometimes it's needed, like, and it works better.
2: You know, I think if you're text only, like, Twitter is the place, right? Like, I, I don't, yeah, I, I thought it was, they did a really good job. I also want to shout out the Warriors, our friend, Julie Fair. Um, obviously, they and won Katie the championship. Craig, Katie and Craigie yes, yellow. Katie. Um, And Devin, Disming, they did an amazing job kind of like just I mean, I I would love to know what it feels like to win a championship, but I don't. And um, I saw I mentioned Julie because I saw a tweet that she put her phone in like a Ziploc bag and kind of just went into the middle of the locker room champagne celebration. And I thought that was really cool. And it gave, you know. The visual and, and the plastic also was kind of cool. Like, I don't know, the whole video was just really raw. And um, I think they did a really good job as a whole kind of encompassing just that moment, uh, especially in a place that's not your own arena. It could, it could yep. be hard, but I think they, they all did a really, really good job.
1: For sure. Yeah, I think it goes back to the fact where like a lot of folks tend to think like you need these super produced videos huge moment in team history you know third title four years and you, you gotta have the. but sometimes like you said like the raw moments are what makes social social like you can't get that experience anywhere else except right. on Twitter at that time and if they had waited you know a day later sure right. like it would have been very produced but you lost that moment of like authentic raw feeling for sure uh, going a little bit beyond that Somebody actually reached out to me, shout out Zach Peggins, who sent me an email about some suggestion suggestions that he wanted um, about us talking about the WNBA side of things. So real quick, awesome, I'm going to touch yeah. on that because um, I hold it very close to, to my heart. I value our Minnesota Lynx platforms as much, if not more, than I do the Timberwolves platform because I think the WNBA as a whole has a huge opportunity to grow. Of course, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that are accompanied with that growth. But from my perspective on the social front, that means taking some risks we wouldn't necessarily do on the NBA side. And, um, you know, my strategy on the links and the teams, my social team strategy is always to kind of push the boundaries and, and put people in conversations where they realize that there is authentic, fundamental, like, great basketball going on here, but also that these players are making huge impacts in the community. They're going far above and beyond, you know, what other athletes are are doing quite frankly in in other leagues and sports. And they're really making an impact in in communities and they deserve to be respected. So, so, yeah, you know, these, these players are in communities making a huge difference, making an impact that, quite frankly, a lot of other teams and leagues and sports aren't necessarily doing to that extent. They deserve to be respected because they put a lot into the game. They have a great product on the floor. And so, our strategy is always taking part in conversations, um, whether they're comfortable or not, to, to allow people to see that side of these athletes and this team um, that goes far beyond the basketball court. And so, sure. you know, recently, we had a fan reach out and, and obviously you see it all the time on Bleacher Report and here and there when the WNBA is mentioned, but it was a pretty ignorant comment about uh, players being in the kitchen. And yeah. so during media day, I talked to our head coach and I was like, you know, if you're comfortable, I'd love to have you have a, make a video, create this video where it's like delete your account, right? And so we had the perfect usage for that and uh, responded to, to somebody who spewed an ignorant comment. And I'm, I'm glad that it got picked up, but really it goes back to the conversation regarding strategy on social. Like there's a huge opportunity here. No, it's not always going to be moments like that where we have to respond to folks because we'll never be able to respond to everybody. But also knowing that like these, this team, this head coach, this organization deserves respect. Uh, and sometimes that's encompassed with giving somebody a little bit of a pushback and being
0: yeah. and saying
1: something that's a little bit out of the ordinary because sometimes it's just not spoken on. So for uh, sure. to Zach, there's kind of my, there's kind of my answer for uh, WNBA strategy and we work uh, again, as many hours as we do on the NBA side. Um, it, it's tough because we have to focus on the NBA draft while also focusing on link season, the WNBA all-star games in Minneapolis this year. So there's all sorts of different things going on, and it's a challenge, but it's also a really cool opportunity that we have. So yeah, um, and
2: to kind of piggyback off that, I, I wish more WNBA teams uh, felt that way. I'm not saying that they don't feel that way, but I wish that it, it appears to me, like I've been really paying attention to um, those accounts now that you know the NBA season's over, and I'm kind of just doing my own like research. Research, and I mean. I think if every team had the same strategy that you guys do, um, I think it would help just brands in general. But I I definitely think it's probably easy to just be like, okay, well, we have an NBA team. You know, let's not like, we'll still do stuff for the WNBA side. But like, this is the product that's more popular, which I don't, I think it kind of has to start building the brand. You know what I mean? And then like people will gain fandom from there. So, I think you guys are doing a killer job.
1: Thank you. So, another topic that we talked about with, with Angie, and I know previously we discussed having a longer conversation, which I'm hoping to at a different time, but on a more serious topic, like I see Angie talking all the time about like anxiety and mental health issues and all of that. And especially within social, I, I don't think necessarily folks think that there is some you know sort of the same struggles that you see in other industries so amara if you don't mind touching on you know your perception of mental health issues and uh in general within sports specifically but being an employee of a team for as long as you have and, and working at, in sports organizations like anxiety is a real thing uh, oh yeah and so yeah please please touch on whatever you're comfortable touching on
2: yeah. I'm, I'm hoping we get into a longer conversation about it too, because I think it's really important to hear people out. Um, I think it's very easy to say like, you guys have the best jobs in the world and you're doing X, Y, Z. And yes, that's true. But I think I've always been an, a pretty anxious person, literally since like a child. <laughs> and I just kind of, Dealt with it in different ways, and I don't even think I knew like what anxiety was. Um, but I think working in this space that we're in, it's definitely exacerbated because we're always plugged in and we're always like on. And I think, especially dealing with the negativity that social media brings, and kind of just the honestly the hatred that is on the internet, it's it's easy to fall into that really negative headspace. And I think, um, that's something that I have to kind of talk myself off the ledge, not literally, but you know, I, I just feel like I get into a really negative headspace when you're just reading all this, these hateful comments and, um, I can't speak for anybody else, but you know, sometimes I do have to make the mental, um, choice to just unplug and like Look at something positive or read something positive because it's really easy to kind of get into that um, negative spiral.
1: Yeah, I I would add on to this by just saying anxiety. I think, as Amara had said, like we have great jobs. That's nothing to take away from that, but anxiety really doesn't care. As as we've seen by some of the struggles that folks have had and have passed away, like mental health issues don't care what your status is in the world or what your job is, and you know what's going on in different spaces like people have to deal with these things regardless of that and so to kind of negate others feelings based on how they're dealing with day to day issues like work and work life balance and this and that and how great their jobs are like it has nothing to do with that quite frankly you know and at, from my perspective the amount of hours that we put into to our craft uh Quite frankly, like, you know, athletes are putting in tons of hours. That's not to say we're at anywhere close to the same level. But that being said, we care a lot about what we do. And that entails reading a lot of the commentary online. And when all, you know, a majority of the commentary online is very volatile and it's just negative, it does take a toll and it does take an effect. And when you're involved with it for, you know, 40 to 80 hours a week, depending on what your job is, it, it takes a toll on you. Especially when you, a lot of folks within the industry have made sacrifices from their family, mm-hmm. friends, you know, their their life, quite frankly, to be in these jobs. And so you kind of have to put that into perspective. And as Amara said, we're going to hopefully have a, a guest on sometime in the near future to have a whole episode dedicated to this. But it is a very important topic. And I'm glad we were able to, to touch on it a little bit. For sure. Cool. Uh, well, with that being said, we will hop into episode six, I believe, with Angie Treasure. So, without further ado, please hear us out—or just me, because tomorrow's not there. <laughs> My good friend and fellow colleague for the Utah Jazz, Angie Treasure, here for Social on the Sidelines, episode six. What's up, Angie?
0: How are you doing, man?
1: You know what? I'm still salty over those complex rankings. I forgot what they ranked you, but I know Uh, on this call. Wow, the 14th and 20th best NBA accounts, according to Complex Sports, guys.
0: We were bottom 10.
1: This, okay. If any of y'all are listening to this. Absolutely. Okay, the Jazz were definitely a top 10 account. And I'm still salty that the Timberwolves were 14. But in any news. <laughs> I'm still sorry. We're not Whatever.
0: bitter, we're not petty, we don't no, keep score. I mean however. I am
1: petty. I am petty and I do keep <laughs> complex, score.
0: Complex, we're but, coming
1: for you. Yes, next year. Um but speaking of which, your first season in the league, regardless of if people appreciate it or not, um at complex, a lot of jazz fans and NBA Twitter in general benefited from you starting out. So one tell us a little bit about how you got the gig and then following up. How was your first season?
0: I Technically, I only did half a season, so I think I'm still a rookie. I mean,
1: Ooh, I see Quinn what you Snyder did there. came. I see what you did there. Uh,
0: no, 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 no. <laughs> no,
1: nah, I don't Don't make
0: you. this into something. As, um, um, ben Simmons, um, she's Snyder. taking shots at you. <laughs> yeah. No, it's more like me and Charlie Widow's going at it at this true, point. True, um, Quinn Snyder came around, and I got a a rookie backpack this season when I when I came onto the team and he said you better carry that around next season until you hit your year mark so technically I I've, I've still got to do a full season um I have kind of a weird winding road into social media I went to school I was an English major at Weaver State University shout out to Damian Lillard
1: about to and
0: say. <laughs> and then I couldn't find a job. So I was a florist for a year and a half. Um, and I started up Twitter kind of as a thing to do on the side. Um, me and my oldest sister needed something in common because we tend to but- butt heads. We're about 10 years apart. And so we started talking about the jazz. And I'm such an information gatherer that I was like, okay, if I'm going to be into this, I want to listen to all the podcasts. I want to read all the blogs. I want to. And you have to have Twitter in that scenario, right? Like, you can't. I don't know how anyone's a modern day sports fan and doesn't have Twitter because that's where everything goes first.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I got on Twitter and slowly kind of became part of Jazz Twitter. Um, I got then got a job at a local blogging company, which turned into a job at a local news station where I did content. Um, and then they kind of gave me the reins for their social. And from there, I moved over to the radio station owned by the Jazz where I was the digital director there. And then a year and a half into that job, um, this job opened up. So I applied and six interviews later, they made a real decision and, uh, (laughs) and, and and gave the reins over to me. So that's kind of my strange little journey.
1: That's a good one for sure.
0: But I, I was always hardcore into Twitter. Like I, I was kind of a Twitter person. I, I met my connection at the local news station through Twitter. Like, it's it's weird. It's a bizarre
1: existence. All right, folks. Just want to take a quick break to talk to you about University of Miami's online graduate sport administration program. This episode is supported by the fine folks over there. It's a top-ranked graduate program with a highly respected reputation among employers. Amara the program is designed for any type of professional, correct?
2: Yeah, it's the programs there are design is designed <laughs> uh, with your schedule in mind and definitely offers the flexibility needed for folks looking to break into the sports industry. Um, if you apply by July 16th, they will waive your application fee, which is
1: super cool. Be sure to check them out at Miami.edu online. Well, you, you mentioned something about six interviews. Tell us a little bit about the interview process. Like what did you have to go through in those six interviews?
0: So my first interview was kind of a group one with someone from HR and they had to pick a different HR person than I already knew because LHM owns the jazz and the radio station. So I kind of knew some of the personnel. Um, so they had to kind of pick people I wasn't super familiar with. So there was a different, it was HR Um, the VP of digital strategy, the, and the head of marketing was my first interview. And I kind of already had a preliminary sit down with the head of marketing. Um, from there, I had to sit down with, um, sponsorship and head of game ops and broadcast and basketball ops, which was PR and, uh, yeah, a, a person high up in basketball ops, not, not like a not GM or anything, but, um, yeah. So, so, and then it was back to sitting down with the person who was the head of marketing. (laughs) So I, I, I got run through the ringer and that was about in about like a week. Um, it was before Christmas and I didn't think I was going to know until after Christmas, whether I got the job, um, because I was supposed to meet with Steve Starks, the president of, of the jazz, um, but he was out of the office. So they were like, well, once the holidays are over and Steve is back, you can sit down with him. Um, I kind of had a history with Steve. So I think he was cool signing off having not had that formal sit down. And so I got a call on, on my drive home before Christmas break saying, Hey, we want to offer you the job. So that's
1: a nice little, luckily I didn't have to sit
0: through the holiday. (laughs) I know. I was just glad I didn't have to sit through the holidays and,
1: and worry about it. But I feel it. So if you don't mind sharing, if you're able to share, what did some of those conversations entail in terms of, especially on the PR side? I think a lot of folks listening don't necessarily know all the aspects that you'll have to deal with, even when you're working in social from PR, like you said, to marketing, to sponsorships, et cetera. So touch a little bit on what the interview entailed in terms of those different departments outside of digital.
0: For sure. So PR, their main concern was like, hey, if if we we understand this is not a nine to five job. And I think some previous um, employees had kind of treated it that way that, you know, it's not nights, weekends and, and you know, extra hours. And so PR was like, yeah, if if we need you guys here on a Saturday, we want to be able to depend on you guys being here on a Saturday and. And, you know, we want to be able to give you guys access, but that's a big part of building that trust. And with sponsorship, it was all about, hey, just make sure when you're creating something or doing an initiative or creating content, you give us an opportunity to sell it. Um, Game Ops was kind of the same way. It was kind of that, you know, being cognizant of merging art and uh, commerce and being able to make money the same time you're doing something cool which i mean i don't know about you you've got to be careful with with sponsorship letting them mm-hmm. have their fingers in the pie too much but also understanding that that's who makes things run a little bit right like it's it should be a symbiotic relationship not just them selling or us just creating without that meeting in the middle um kind of on the content marketing side my whole pitch was i felt like I was coming into an organization and a social team that was already doing a really good job. And they were excellent at speaking to Utah-based jazz fans. But if that's the only audience you're worried about, you're giving yourself a hard cap already because it's a small market and uh, it's a small state. So you had to, in my mind, be able to speak to the league and speak to NBA culture and speak Broader than that, and look for those opportunities. So that was really my big pitch, was that I got NBA Twitter and I was a part of it, and I could participate in those conversations.
1: Um, so you talked about a personal social presence, and I know companies sometimes are looking at personal uh, accounts. But what do you think the benefit is of you being active on that front um, versus? other applicants who might not have been as active in, in NBA Twitter specifically.
0: Well it's corny, but I call it my walking resume. I mean, if you're saying, hey, I get NBA Twitter, I get the jazz, I can get come in and hit the ground running, there's really no what better way to prove it than having this social presence. Especially if you are coming into a company that values voice. And I think that is something that the team needed that when I came on is kind of a more personalized voice. Um, I personally, I've, I've never had to do any social hiring so far. Um, but I wouldn't hire anyone who didn't have their own social presence. I don't know how you can expect someone to come on and participate in jazz Twitter as a job who doesn't understand what it is. Um, I think it's intimidating. I I get why people come into Twitter and think. Where the hell do I start with this? It's a million different people saying a million different things. But really, if you are into a niche market, if you like comedy, if you like sports, if you like news, you can really customize it for you. And it's part of and it's being part of the conversation, not just tweeting. But you know, I I found myself networking, not in a not in a super cognizant way. I'm not out there like, oh, I really want to talk to Shabaz and Amara because they're the, uh, you know, social media managers for their teams. It's more, you know, I want to see what these guys are doing. I want to see what's, I, th- I think there's a lot of fear about um, having your own social media presence if you're representing a team and there are lines so you have to be careful not to cross. But at the same time, like, you can be smart about it. There's a lot of freedom there. So for anyone who's who's interested in getting into social media you ha- like you just have to you can't you can't you can't under not understand the world by because twitter's intimidating so i would say like you just have to have your own presence
1: i i 100 agree i i think there's always an advantage given to people when i've looked at hiring practices like there's always an advantage to people that are active in the space because you just like you said, if they're not active in it, it's hard to say how they would communicate from a team perspective. Right. When a lot of that relates to you understanding the landscape. And
0: it doesn't even have to it doesn't even have to correlate to follower count. Like I'm not looking for someone to have no. six thousand followers in order to hire somebody. But I should be able to look through your tweets and your replies and see, oh, they're reading the right things, they're talking to the you know, the players, they're not, not players, but like the players in, in the uh, industry, like you should, you should get it. You should know what to look for. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You, you touched a little bit on voice and no disrespect and nothing to take away from past jazz social regimes, but obviously there was a drastic change in the tone and, and voice and especially coming from a market that has A little bit different of a, I guess, stigma around it in terms of Utah. Like, how do you how did you change that so quickly and what was entailed in the building of the Utah Jazz social voice that has come about the way it is today?
0: I think a lot of it is me just when I I think when I got hired, there were so many conversations around like. You've gotta trust me a little bit. Don't hire me if you don't trust me. Um, recognize that I'm not gonna put the company in in jeopardy. I'm not gonna embarrass the owners. I'm not gonna I understand the market. you know, I've lived in Utah my whole life. I'd worked for l h m before I came to the jazz. I understand the team like I think when I was hired. I felt like I'd been given the keys. It wasn't really piecemeal. So my voice just kind of came through inherently. Um, I'm kind of ridiculous. So that kind of happened automatically. Um, but yeah, it really did come through the the whole hiring process. But it is kind of intimidating. Like It was a couple days even before I got um, the passwords to the accounts. And it's like, all right. It's time to tweet something. <laughs> like it's I'd I'd run big accounts before, um, but this was this is super different. It's uh it it's, it is my comfort zone and it is what I what I'd been doing for five plus years, but yeah, getting to actually tweet for your team is pretty wild. <laughs>
1: So talk a little bit about some of the the bigger wins and then also some of the times I know I'm not going to mention specifically. I thought there were some great ones. And I I think you learned very quickly. There's uh, some times where we have great ideas and other people might not agree with that. So you, you might have had to remove them. I've been in that position. So talk a little bit about some of the favorite tweets you had to put out and then on the opposite end, if you can hit on not necessarily what the tweets were, but times you had to delete them. Like, what do those conversations sure. entail and how do the ideas come about? Well,
0: I don't know if you know, if you feel this, but it's one of those things where, like, so many people kind of have a say in what you're doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, from your own department, from your own team to the team president to the players to, like, w- we got a DM from a player at one point. We were, the players were going through like an IG war, and we post. We were posting all their responses to each other, and one of the players was mad, um, so we had to take that down. But it's it is one of those things that you you think about audience, and it really is broader than just jazz fans. It's players, it's management, so everyone kind of gets a say in what you're doing, which makes the job pretty unique. Um, one of my favorite ones, I think I'd been on a week and a half before the whole um tunnel fiasco went down at staples um yep. and i uh was sitting there, and I was like this is this is happening, and there's gotta be a way to participate because no no team had really jumped in, but everyone was talking about it. It was like one in the morning, and so I was like, "Oh I'm gonna just try this so I added. Vivin Arena, which is our our uh, arena where we play our games, and just said, "Do we have tunnels?" Yeah. And I thought, because I was adding them, like maybe it wouldn't get picked up on, maybe it would, but it blew up pretty quickly, and then ended up on the jump. Um, and that was my first thing where I was like, "Yeah, that's awesome." And some people were like, "You're going to get in trouble for that," and other people. But the team president came and like gave me a fist bump, so I felt pretty, <laughs> I felt okay about it. There is that really nerve-wracking uh, feeling, though, when you hit send and you're like, well, this could go oh, either way.
1: <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> yeah, I, I've i definitely been in those positions where it's like, um, I'm either going to get talked to about this yeah. and it'll be removed or it's going to be great.
0: But I also feel like that's how you know you're doing your job, right? Like, if you're super safe, no one's going to talk about you. You don't need to risk your job, but...
1: No. But I, th- I, I think there's a certain expectation that you're able and willing to, to push the boundaries, especially when it comes to internet culture, right? Like yeah. if we just go about posting the play-by-play to every score, that's not engaging whatsoever. But if we're trying to take part in conversations that, people, that appeal to people outside of Utah jazz fans, like frankly, I never really cared about jazz Twitter to the extent that I do now. Before this year, and that's largely in part to the voice and what you guys have been able to create there. And I think it's a testament to why uh, teams, especially in the NBA, where we're given a little bit more leeway than other leagues um, to, to take risks and do that. Um, so for sure, I, I'm all in agreement there. For sure.
0: Another um, of my favorite tweets was Kim Kardashian um, tweeted something about spiders being scary. And someone on my team gave us a heads up and was like, hey, can we do something with this? Because Donovan Mitchell's nickname is Spida, And so we quote mm-hmm. tweeted Kim Kardashian. And it was like, I think she said spiders are my nightmare or something. And we said, you and the rest of the league, Kimmy. And that ended up on the show. Yep. That was fun. Um, the one, the first one I ever got a call about was, and I'm fine saying what it was. <laughs> we beat the Warriors at home by 30. Um, and there was this. I was combing through our team photog's images, and there was this really great image of the back of Steph's jersey with Rudy and Ricky facing the camera. And you just in my head, I'm like, oh, you can just see that thirty right in the middle. And so I tweeted, um, "How much did the Jazz beat the Warriors by?" With the picture of Steph, <laughs> and in my mind, it wasn't a jab at Steph. It it, but I think that's how management saw it and so they asked me to take it down. Um which was a I was I was bummed. Um but ultimately it's their call. So that was that was my first uh call call from the team president saying, "Hey, you you got to delete that one." So I I right. took an L on that. Um <laughs> I've I've had I got in trouble for kind of bantering with the team before, which I think I learned, my lesson is you have to learn which teams you can go back and forth with and which ones you can't. And I learned which right. ones I can't. So, because, you know, like the Hawks are willing to do that. Um, the the yep. Kings, obviously. Portland. Um, hopefully the Timberwolves soon. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but some of them, you know, you've got to just read, read the game and read what's going on with them and i think i got a little uh i wasn't reading it correctly and so they got upset so that was my fault live and live and learn (laughs) but here's my question for you
1: oh switching the table okay am i allowed you're 100 percent allowed amara's not here either so she's missing out on the tables being turned. It's the, That's what you get, Amara. It's the
0: Amara beef, Amara Angie beef starting right now. So,
1: started right now. I
0: think in the past, and maybe this is the attitude with some teams, is that Team Twitter should be anonymous. And it is. But I also think teams are hiring people with known internet presence. And, yes. Curious what you think. Because I think it's a good thing. I think it's okay to know that I run Utah Jazz. I think it's okay to know you run the Timberwolves and the Lynx. You know what I'm? I'm saying I, I don't know if anonymity has as much value as we once thought it did. I think it should be clear that it's it still has team objectives, but to me, it's still like a a team broadcast hiring talent like you should have someone right. behind the reins who maybe has a little bit of a name of their own. I'm curious what you think about that.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think there's, I, I see it on both sides, right? Because you see somebody like a house of highlights where it's obviously Omar and now drew Corrigan over there. And essentially teams on the NBA side are essentially, essentially functioning as these media outlets now, right? So you just need the talent, and that's why when and I hired Cody Sherrett, right, from the Blazers, like they were known as some of the best in the league. He was known as one of the best in the league. So that was one of the instances where obviously there, that's a no brainer. Right. Uh, on the opposite end of it, I think there's there's an extent, right? Like, and this is me personally speaking, but I I wouldn't want it to get to the level where somebody is going on their personal first and kind of like scooping the team with stuff, right? right? Whether that's content, whatever, or like stuff they could have done from the team perspective, but they went and did from their own. So, and and then you run into the potential as well um, of it coming off as being an extension of the person 100% rather than- Team first. Vice versa, right? Yeah, so like, for example, if when if and when I was at the Kings, and we would post something, like a lot of the comments would be like Jason or Shabazz or Kyle, and it was cool, of course, but obviously there there's a side of that too. Like when I leave, or you know whatever happens, there should be kind of a disconnect in terms of people being like, oh, he's the one doing it still. Right. Um So it's kind of a roundabout answer. But yes, 100%. I think first and foremost, I always hire for talent first, right? So right. in in my case, just be speaking bluntly, like when I first came into the league, uh, I thought I was super, super creative when I got my chance in Sacramento after I was an intern in, uh, for the Wolves. But I didn't know necessarily a ton about Photoshop and this and that, and that stuff that I learned kind of on the fly. I knew the basics, but I wasn't necessarily the best at it. But I think they hired me for talent. In terms of other means, whereas, you know, I I think, and not to take anything away from any, you should always become as well rounded as possible. But if you're not kind of known for one of your talents and you're more focused on being solely well rounded, I think you're actually kind of at a disadvantage because, especially in the sports industry, the it's a very tight knit circle, and when you're able to kind of separate yourself from the thousands of applicants that are looking for these jobs by becoming among the best in a certain skill set while still trying to become well-rounded right. it pays off a little bit more so right uh yeah I'm, I'm always about hiring for for talent and i think especially when you're building a presence online for yourself if you're trying to get into nba twitter specifically you you're going to be ahead of the curve if you're able to understand that and and show that on like you said it's a walking resume. Yeah. So if you're able to do that in the right way. I would
0: always hire someone. I'm like, this person can get something that's kind of intangible and hard to teach. Like, it's hard. I don't Mm -hmm. know how you would teach someone, hey, here's how you develop a Twitter voice. Like, either you know how to do it or you don't, rather than someone who is proficient in Photoshop and Premiere. And, you know, that stuff's super valuable. But, like, I can learn that stuff well enough. It's it's the intent. You got to hire people for their strengths and then decide whether or not they're teachable and can figure things out on the fly. And I think that's what the Jazz did with me is they knew I'd have to learn, you know, all the new software, Clip Pro, how to cut things together in Premiere. And I figured it out fine, but it's the other things that it's harder to teach people.
1: Yeah, I'm 100% in agreement there. I've I've always looked at my hiring practices as if this person was on the job today with the exception of the programs like you're talking about if i had to have them cover a game from twitter or facebook Inst- like would they get it right would they be able to fit in relatively seamlessly and if the answer is no it might not make sense for that specific position um but building off that so you talked a lot about kind of having this longer journey and obviously in sports everyone has a different career path but for folks that are trying to get into it what would you say are the biggest piece of advice that you'd have for them
0: my whole thing is you should be creating something you should be writing you should be making photoshops you should be you know cutting together videos you should be tweeting do something if if it's something you're already passionate about, that will happen already, and people will find you because of it. Pe- that's how people found me, is I was just tweeting about the jazz, and I got a job at KSL, and then I started blogging for the True Hoop affiliate, uh, Salt City Hoops. I started getting uh, hosting radio shows on the sides and doing podcasts, and because it was something I was already into, um, it just kind of became natural that I was creating in the space. So if it's something that you are passionate about and, you know, not saying you have to only do unpaid work, but you should already be creating things and people will find you because of it.
1: Absolutely. I'm a hundred percent in agreement. When I was out of the NBA in between when I left as an intern at the Timberwolves and before I got hired at the Kings, I was at an ad agency, but I was doing like work for the Timberwolves SB Nation yep. site and like covering the summer league games. Like yep. that goes such a long way, just because it shows that you're still involved and able to to hop back in for sure on the fly. For sure, uh, and
0: and yeah, I just I I encounter people all the time. I don't know if you you get this. I had to close up my DMs because I got the same question over and over, but people would say like, how did you get into social media? And how did you get into sports as a career? Like I'm a huge, a, they say they're a huge fan. And so they want to work for the team, which I think is maybe not the right approach. Um, But right. my adv- advice is always like, Hey, you got to be creating something. If I go to your profile and there's no link in your bio or there's nothing on your feed that says you're able to create content in this space, then I don't know what you think, some how you think someone's going to give you a job. Like, I don't know. You've got to be writing something. you got to be tweeting. You've got to be doing ridiculous. I did the most ridiculous, stupid Photoshop during jazz games. And like, it's, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it wasn't good. Like, you just should be proving that you have something to say. And so that's always my advice to people.
1: Yeah. I I look at it like this, like I'm, I'm huge into sneakers, right? Like I'm still salty right now. I I really wanted these sneakers before this call came. I woke up at eight and I didn't get them. That's a different story, (laughs) but I buy sneakers all the time. But if I went to somebody that worked in the sneaker industry and was like, yo, I'm a huge sneaker fan, right? Like you should hire me. Right. That there's a difference between being a consumer of something and a producer of something. And if you're able to differentiate between the two and be, yes, i a big consumer of a product, so you understand that side, but also being a producer, so you understand what people want to consume. That's a whole separate avenue of it. So yes, I've I've left my DMs open, <laughs> and I get a lot of the same messages. Probably not to the same scale as you do, but I always get the "How can I get there?" Um, which is a valid question. But if the only reason you're doing it is because you're a fan, you know we have. Millions of fans across the league. You have to be able to differentiate, absolutely, in order to land one of these jobs. It's a
0: different switch. Um, it's it's pushing out your own view of things, and not just hot takes. It it shouldn't just be you know egg avatar level fire the coach takes. It needs to be. <laughs> it needs to be. I always I always think of it this way. I think someone I can't remember who tweeted it, but if you're Running a team account, you should be giving color commentary, not play-by-play, right? Like, you always say what's happening. That's not difficult. Uh, It's being able to subvert what you're looking at and make jokes and be clever and listen into what the fans are saying. And it's it's a different switch than just saying, I'm the most knowledgeable fan on the block type of thing, so... It's um I'm with you there. I think being the biggest fan in the world helps. Um it's also maybe less than 25% of
1: the puzzle. Oh yeah. I I would even argue to say even even less than Bro. that just because I was trying to be For nice. example, like when I No, I I get what you're No. <laughs> I I get what you're saying. Uh I, I didn't mean to demean your percentage no, no. count. We can
0: beef now too. Uh, <laughs> oh,
1: okay. First of all our analysis. Um, no, but I, I was just saying like even then the stuff that they're seeing on a front facing level, in terms of like the Twitter jokes and this and that, I would even say that's less than ten percent, right? Sure. Like how many strategies and campaigns and voice uh, you know, decks have you put together or sponsorship requests that people don't see is behind the scenes right. um, that is entailed with a social job, right? Like it's PR, it's marketing, it's photography, video, video editing, creativity, uh, creative direction, like right. collaboration. Like it's all these different things that I try to get people to understand. If there's one thing I try to get people to understand when they DM me, like, what do I need to know about this job? It's that it is so much more than what you see put out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram etc like it is all of these things and all these departments combined yep. into one being
0: and the people who i've seen and- struggle in it are the people who just want to do game day if the people yep. aren't able to be part of a larger company where they're getting input from tons of different people and having to fulfill requests for all kinds of departments and like you said work with sponsors sponsorship work with marketing Those are the people who struggle the most, who just want to do the fun stuff on game day. Like, that's such a small piece of it. Yes, you should love that. Yes, that's the best part of the job. But you've got to understand that there's so much more to it than that.
1: Absolutely. So I've got two final ones for you. The first of which being, if there's one thing you should have known before you got in or you wish you would have known before you got in to NBA social? What, what is that thing?
0: Ooh. Um, I think so. My first season was a little unique just cause I came in and I was automatically very concerned with doing everything. And I think I would have told myself it's okay to not it to delegate a little bit. This is my first time ever managing a team. And I think I wanted to learn how to do everything so I could do it all. And I also wanted to prove that I wasn't dead weight in this weird way. So I think if I could go back, I would say, hey, don't burn yourself out. Like it's okay to take a night, a game off. It's okay to trust your team with, you know, more than you did this season because it's, you know, I only participated in five months of the season and it it's a little exhausting. So that's what I would tell myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm kind of in a new place where Cody and Taylor and, and Seth, who are on my team, are more so the day to day. And I've come from a background, obviously, the last four years. I've been tweeting every day. I've been the one behind right. the, behind the account for the most part. And now I tweet maybe once every Three weeks, and it's more so giving them the uh, comfortability and trying to teach them the ropes of here's what we do here and here, and then learning from them too. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a whole different ball game when you're managing. But the last one I have, we're going to get real deep. I, I know you're. I see the memes from your account all the time, and it's about anxiety in this. Event. <laughs> but on on a, on a real level, like in terms of this job, as you said, it, it's very exhausting at times. And so how do you manage your time while also, you know, ensuring that your mel- mental health is in a good place and, um, you know, just making sure that you feel good overall while also still enjoying what a great job. You have?
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I have a perfect answer for that. Cause I don't know. i found that perfect balance. We, we had, we had a, right. we had a meeting with someone from a local TV station at a, at a university and, they said how do you maintain a work life balance and I was thinking I cannot give advice <laughs> on that because right now it's just a right. work work balance um which I don't recommend yeah. I'm not I'm not holding that up on a pedestal you definitely need to um me, for me it's it's about communicating with my bosses being able to tell them when I'm feeling worn down um giving myself permission to have a day where I do nothing, obviously not a work day, but you know, like a Saturday where I'm like, I'm not going <laughs> to do anything today. I'm just going to watch. Uh,
1: talk to Shabazz. I'm just going to talk to Shabazz. Almost tomorrow.
0: Listen, I've got my ice, <laughs> my iced coffee and a big Ricky Rubio cup. So I'm good. Um,
1: Ricky Rubio is my top three favorite players of all time. My first non-KG jersey ever is a Ricky jersey. So tell him I said Can
0: that. I just tell you? I so we're doing this bracket off-season content thing where we're pitting moments of the year against each other, and I just cut together the Ricky Rubio's Game 3 of the OKC series (laughs) where he had a triple-double and kind of did the are-you-not-entertained hand motion to the crowd. That was so – I forgot how freaking good that was. Ricky was so good (laughs) this year. I know it hurts Timberwolves fans' hearts a little bit, Um. It's okay. They miss. They it's miss okay. him.
1: He's,
0: I think they're glad he's yes. doing well. But he's like, he's he's one of the most lovable guys in the league, right? Like, who who doesn't love Ricky? If you don't love Ricky Rubio, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> um. But yeah, I I think um I don't always do a good job communicating what I need and how I'm feeling. So I think I just have to work on that. Um, my anxiety is. Real. I mean, most most of the anxiety memes are jokes, um, but there's always some truth. There's always some truth there. I just I'm, I'm a worrier. I worry how what I do impacts other people, and I think that's what makes me good at what I do. But also, you have to be careful not to let it be crippling.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing I've learned in the few years I've been in the league is just being able, like you said, to be real about and authentic about how you're feeling. Yeah. Because I think so many of us love our jobs a great amounts that we're kind of scared to take a step back sometimes and, and realize that we can ease back a little bit and take care of ourselves. Uh, and it's not all work, even though it feels like it mostly is. So,
0: and I think that I appreciate I think that's one of those things too, where this space is occupied by pretty young people. And most of us don't have kids. And most of us are pretty free in our lifestyle Um, so we are willing to work a lot, but that doesn't mean we should work all the time. I don't know. I think, I think it's interesting. I I don't want, I don't want people to only hire social people, um, who are willing to run themselves into the ground and then change them out every two years. Because I think it's, it is a sustainable career, but, but it's so far it hasn't it hasn't been something that like people with families gravitate towards. So I, uh, right. I'm interested to see how it evolves. Preach.
1: Preach. <laughs> All right. Any, any last words for the folks?
0: I don't think so. You can, you can, uh, bug Shabazz about his wedding this off season.
1: Please, please don't What's, do that. It's a month away. It's a month. <laughs> it's a month, July 21st. Well, thanks for listening to the latest episode of Social on the Sidelines. Appreciate our folks over at Team Infographics for, again, providing us with some great images. Amara, where can the folks find Team Infographics at?
2: Yeah, contact them today at teaminfographics.com or hit them with the follow on Twitter at Team Infographics.
1: Again, teaminfographics.com or on Twitter at Team Infographs. All right, y'all. Until next time.